0: The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Please visit pod617.com to learn about our podcast production services and view our full lineup of shows.
1: Welcome to a wicked mystery. A paranormal perfect storm known simply as Monsterland. The Monsterland podcast is recorded live in an undisclosed location somewhere in the heart of high strangeness, just outside of Monsterland, Massachusetts. And now, here are your hosts, paranormal author, researcher, and speaker, Ronnie LeBlanc, and the host of The Curse of Oak Island, drilling down on the History Channel, Maddie Blake.
2: Someone. Sometime did something underground on an island in Nova Scotia. We don't know who. We don't know why. We don't know what. We don't know when and quite frankly, Ronnie, we don't know where. I'm talking about Oak Island. And tonight's guest is executive producer of Oak Island Joe Lessard. And I'm pumped. I am excited. All <laughs> right. Awesome. Uh, welcome back to Monsterland. We are overwhelmed after only one episode. We're, Everyone following... We're worldwide now. Episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we're, uh, tonight for our interview, we solicited questions to you guys out there, and we got questions literally from all over the world. So we're we're just so excited. Please share it with a friend if you like it. If you're into the paranormal and you're just finding us, uh, share it. We're everywhere. Uh, we're on social media. Yep. Ronnie, where are we on social media?
3: So Facebook, at Monsterland Podcasts, Twitter, Instagram, Snap.
2: We're at MonsterlandPod. Um Last week's episode was unbelievable, Nick Redfern, and, and just if you're finding us now because of Oak Island, I think we're going to have a lot of Oak Island fans, eggcorns as we call them, listening to this episode for the first time. Um, we are called Monsterland because we sit on the outskirts here of Massachusetts of a 5,000-plus-acre state forest, which is known locally as Monsterland. Because it's a paranormal perfect storm, as the intro says, yeah. of all kinds of paranormal activities. Everything from ufology, cryptozoology, um, even some stories about demonic activity, yep. um, S- suicide. suicides, a rash of suicides, and that. So right here in this town, a military experiments. There's a military base nearby. So right here is kind of representative of everything in the paranormal uh, sphere. And so we are based here, but we talk about paranormal around the globe, around the planet. Everywhere. We are going to yeah. be mobile. We're going to go do episodes at various haunted locations and stuff. So we're both natives uh, of this area, right outside of Boston. Yeah. So this is a perfect opportunity and we just, perfect place for us to be right outside one of the most haunted and spooky areas in the country. And we're passionate about this stuff.
3: Yeah. Right. So this is um, pretty exciting
2: stuff to uh, share this with everybody globally now absolutely and tonight's guest Joe uh, really gets into Oak Island his uh, personal experiences on the island and even a little paranormal stuff which they don't talk about a lot Um, so for those of you who are excited about that aspect of the mystery definitely stay tuned but uh, why don't we first of all (laughs) if you heard my rant from last week I want to just make one amendment (laughs) I'm prone to rant. Uh, As you will learn Mm -hmm. listening to this podcast, Uh, I went off on being post-skeptical, and I got a little bit of heat for for that. And I guess maybe I didn't preface it enough by saying, of course, um, it's assuming that we are going to be also not duped by everything. Right. I was talking to, you know, us sane believers. And and I don't think you have to apologize for it. I think it was... I
3: think it was... uh, People took me to task. Like,
2: if we're not skeptical, then... But But listen, what I'm saying, it's a spirit. I was talking about a spirit, a state of mind of of, let's stop again. I'm going to go off another round here. (laughs) Let's just stop apologizing for being believers. That's all. Right. And like I said, if you get burned once or twice, so what? But let's talk about it. Let's be vocal because right now, as we said... Now is the time. And to that end, this very week that we record this, more news has broke. Unbelievable. More stories have come out. And, Ronnie, we have here a document that we need to get to, um, the actual military um, report on this Tic Tac UFO phenomenon. We're going to dive into this. This is just incredible. It's um, and you've really spent a lot of time with this, so we'll, we'll talk about that. But before we um, do that, why don't we open a Monsterland case file? Sure. And, and and we'll we'll dive into this whole thing and how it ties into something that's happened locally here. Um, but before that, <laughs> it's like a double tease. <laughs> um, I figured it would be great for us because I think we're going to get some new listeners who are into Curse of Oak Island. I think it would be great if we kind of shared just a touch of our personal stories, our sure. personal journeys. Yeah. So why don't we... Listen, you and I have had a many paranormal experiences. We're both experiencers. Right. Why don't we just start with one? Because, again, this is going to be a long journey together. Yeah. We're going to do many, many episodes of this. So why don't we start with the basics? Where? What was your first paranormal experience that you ever had that got you either interested in this or maybe repelled you at first because you yeah. were frightened by it? Well, I think if we
3: stuck kind of went back a little bit just with where Monsterland came from, um, you know, in the 50s, late 50s. The, the legend has it that this guy had came into a bar, was frantic, told the manager
2: that he saw a terrifying monster by Old Mill Road. So this is right outside the Monsterland forest. Right. And he comes running into a bar. What, what year is this? So this is in the 50s
3: at some, at okay. some point. Okay. This, no one really knows when. It was sometime in the summer. Okay. Uh, and he's, you know, this is Lemonster. There's no cell phones. And so he finds the, the nearest establishment, goes into this bar and tells him, I saw this monster as I'm going by this bridge. And he ca- says, call the police. So the man just kind of staring at this guy like, what is he talking about? Monster. Right. And uh, he r- realizes after like, you know, a little bit here, this guy's pretty serious. And he's kind of freaking out. So he calls the Lemonster Police Department. They come down. He's waiting for them. He doesn't want to wait anymore. He says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to show everyone, prove to everybody that this thing is real. This is a real monster they saw. He goes back to the spot. Well, the police show up at the bar. He's no longer there. The manager says, This guy came in, says he saw something, some kind of monster by the bridge on Old Mill Road. Can you go down there? So they kind of chuckle. They show up. Well, lo and behold, they find the guy's car. The lights are on, the car's running. Doors open, but there's nobody there, so they just think that he's out in the woods. Probably stepped off, so they waited a few minutes. Five minutes goes by, ten minutes goes by. He doesn't show up, <laughs> so they start to kind of check the perimeter and look around. They can't find him. And the guy disappears. So this was like that legend of of Monsolin when this started, where someone saw a bigfoot creature and they disappeared. And then when I talked to locals in the area, they said, you know what's interesting? These these old timers. They were they were around at that time. They were God, around. The that witnesses time. you spoke to. Yeah, now. What's interesting is they say, you know, before this incident happened, this wasn't called Monsterland. And I said, what was it called? And they said, the UFO landing area. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. The
2: UFO landing area was the name of this spot. So now, once again, we have a possible tire connection between UFOs and, and Bigfoot, Bigfoot, which is what a lot of Bigfoot people don't like. Right. You know, the people no, who are into the it's a North American, camps, great no. ape, undiscovered ape, has nothing to do with UFOs, it's not paranormal. No. But we have right here, right <laughs> outside these walls. Wow. Unbelievable. Was and there police? Did you see like a police report? Was there documentation I did some story?
3: digging. I couldn't find anything. So, you know, uh, I kind of looked at it. Is this just some kind of fictitious story? Sure. Uh, but as I started digging into more encounters and all that, People were seeing a Bigfoot-type creature in that area. People were seeing UFOs. So it kind of goes on and on. And, and this is where it kind of led into my first experience. So when I was a kid, I used to take my bike and go to Monsterland. And we would meet different friends up there, ride our bikes. And I would go by this certain trail every time, and it would just give me the heebie-jeebies. Man, I would see this place, and it had like two trees on either side of the trail. So it looked like this prehistoric gate. And I would ride my bike. And How old I just, are you about? At this oh, I must have been you know, 10 or
2: 11. And you got a bad feeling? Every time. Driving
3: by that? Every time. I would okay. ride my bike and I would pedal a little bit faster. Well, one day I was feeling a little ballsy and I decided, you know what? I'm going to go down that trail. So I got up to the entrance of the trail, kind of a little bit of an incline. So I jumped off the bike and walked it in. As I started walking in, the trail got narrower and narrower, but I got this instant feeling of being watched. And, you know, you, you, the hair on the back of your neck kind of goes up. You just, it doesn't feel right. And as I keep on, you know, I get on the bike a little bit, I start going through and you can hear just the this, this squeaking sound of, uh, of my wheels and kind of going through. And then I stopped because I could hear nothing. There were no squirrels, no birds, no animal life. It was just dead quiet. So that got me more freaked out. So I started just kind of staying there but I, I wanted to kind of move forward, but it was almost like a mental block where I couldn't, couldn't move, and as I stood there, looking forward, place is silent. I'm like, I need to get out of here, but I couldn't move, I was like frozen. The forest erupts in front of me, like just a few yards away, and it felt like an uh, elephant was literally stomping through the woods. I saw trees move in front of me, but I could not see anything. I could feel from the soles of my feet, my chest, like
1: boom, boom, boom.
3: I couldn't see anything, and it tripped me out. I, as soon as it was gone, I kind of regained, and I jumped on my bike. And I freaking pedaled out of there so fast, and I was going home thinking, "What was that? Was that a moose? Was that a deer?" Like I didn't see anything, so it really bugged me.
2: And you had no context in your no. young mind of Bigfoots or no, you know didn't, you had nothing exactly, to exactly. It write. did
3: not enter my head at all.
2: You didn't write a book called Monsterland when you were ten. No,
3: <laughs> I totally forgot about it. And as I started you know, kind of getting back into it, I moved back home, I was in California for a while, and hearing other you know, people's stories, that popped back in my head like right. an epiphany, like, man, what if that was some kind of
2: encounter? Because people talk about well, them having this visibility, the cloaking ability that everything, they have, Everything so. you describe, and this is why this is so compelling to me, everything you describe, you come to learn when you study this stuff right. is like cliche. For people that have Bigfoot encounters. Feel like they're being watched. Boom.
3: The forest goes quiet.
2: Boom. No animal life anywhere. Paralyzed with fear or paralyzed, yep. feeling like you're discombobulated, could, could all that stuff. I
3: literally felt like there was some kind of a mental wall, like this block. I could not move forward. And I don't know why I just stopped and looked straight ahead. But it was almost like where I was looking is where this thing just erupted, And I'm trying to find what is the source. It was like Predator is the best way I can mm. explain it. Not like I saw the shimmering thing, but there was nothing there, and there should have been something there, big, and I didn't see it, and that freaked me out. To this day, it still freaks me out. And
2: ironically, you, you got as jacked as Arnold Schwarzenegger, so yes. the predator analogy is perfect. Right. Um, and, and that's just the beginning of your paranormal oh, yeah. journey, uh, yeah. so we'll, we'll stop there for now. Like I said, this is a, this is a long play right. here. Um, my first experience was, you know, as a little kid... Uh, my grandmother, I'm all Irish. I think I have a little English in me somewhere. Um, But everyone came over from Ireland, from the old country, you know. And my grandmother would often talk about her mother. And I remember being very little in her kitchen, where it was the center of our universe, my grandmother's little kitchen in Natick, Mass. And she would talk about stories about her mother. And I remember, like, old Irish stories about her mother, kind of what she was describing when it was, like, precognitive dreams. But Mm -hmm. I had no way to conceptualize that but my mother would she would talk about her mother screaming having screaming dreams or something she had a phrase for them which Hmm. I can't recall and then my grandmother had a quote unquote ghost in her kitchen that she even named Bridget and she would talk about it like she was talking about making lunch
3: like wait would she talk to the ghost in front of you yeah
2: she'd say oh Bridget not today not today and then at one point I remember there was a picture that things kept coming off the wall so they put a they put a a hook for a frame that you like to, to remove the picture you'd have to like pick it up and lift it off the sure. thing okay. no sooner yep. had they hung something there they just hear slap shoo, slide like the the thing come off the hook hit the kitchen floor and slid across the kitchen floor Floor, and my grandmother's like okay Bridget we won't hang anything there you know so I grew up kind of with that in the back of my mind mm. but honestly because it was treated so cavalierly right. I didn't sit there and go like oh nanny's got right. a ghost I just kind of was like it was yeah. another story in it's your it's like family. a natural right yeah, yeah. so But then um, I do remember her talking about dreams. And she had one recurring dream where she would be carrying someone. And when she was carrying someone, she was running through like a field or something and she could never see whose face it was. And she would look down and she would just know this person was in trouble, but she could never see whose face it was. Hmm. And when she had that dream, within 24 to 72 hours, someone that she loved or knew very closely would pass. Wow! So when she had it, she would get very upset. And I don't I wish I remembered more details about it, but I just know that that, that was told to me. Hmm. So when I was very young, um, I had a book of mysteries. and this will come into play later. I'll explain all this, but one of the mysteries in this, you know, 100 mysteries around the world was Oak Island. Wow, which fascinated me That's, as a kid, a show I ended up working on years, years, years right. later. later. Um, but I had this book and I was into that type of stuff. And I had a, sounds silly, but I had a pet parakeet. And this pet parakeet and I had this weird, and I've heard bird owners uh, claim this type of thing before with parakeets. We had a uh, psychic connection. I'm telling you, like, I would I would literally, you can ask anyone in my family, you know my family, yeah. I could say, like, time for bed. He would fly into the room, fly right in his cage. He would fly on my shoulder on command. He was unbelievable. So I, I had this unbelievable relationship with this stupid bird. And... I was I was in junior high. I think I was 10 or 10 or 11, about the same age you had yours. Wow. And so all that grandmother stuff was was not ever on the front of my mind, but it was there. Mm. And I went to bed one night and I had the most one of the most five vivid dreams I've ever had in my life. And in the dream, I take my bird to school. And I'm showing my friends the bird and he got loose. And I'm running through the halls, running through the halls, running through the halls. I'm looking for him. I'm calling him. I'm calling him. I'm calling. Him. I'm calling him. And then I see him at the end of a hall. I run down this long hall. And there he is. And he's he's in the dream. He's dead. And I pick him up. He's lifeless. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I wake up. <gasps> and it was so cl- real. And I woke up. And I looked around my room. I go, oh, my God. It was a dream. And I walked over to his cage. And he was dead on the floor yeah, of the cage. Out. And... It scared me so much that I immediately rejected, I mean, almost on the spot. I literally, I might even said out loud, I was like, no, 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 nope. I don't want this. I don't want this in my life. No, no. And I did. I thought of my grandmother and I was like, nope. So that came in your mind. though. Yeah. Grandmother. I, her I don't dreams, remember. Her I, stories. I don't remember how immediate it happened, but I know I had that thought. I remember having that thought like, no, God, please. No, Jesus, get it out of here. I don't want it. Wow. And I rejected everything paranormal or weird, I threw that book away. Uh, it was just, I wanted none of it. But it continued to dog me <laughs> throughout my life. And um, I had a full body apparition experience, which we'll get into later, and, yeah. then, and then the the well, floodgates were opened later in my life. What's remarkable is
3: that your, your grandmother's dreams, it sounds very shamanic, like mm. she's helping kind of carrying their soul not knowing who it is, mm. but kind of, you know, guiding someone. It's interesting, and it seems that like you got that same gift well, that was passed down.
2: As you know, I've had some recently, very recently in my family, um, and I'm calling them, and I'll I'll tell this story later in another podcast. Yeah, It's hard for me to talk about because I'll get emotional, and yeah, well, um, I'm a very emotional person. But and they're it's, very... And it's going on right yeah. now and it's my mother who's passed and she is, I'm calling them, and there, this might be an expression, I don't know, I think I invented it. I think you did. Okay, I'm calling them um, empathy dreams. My mother is, sh- I don't want to make a fool of myself, she's making me feel the feelings of people around me so that I better understand them. Mm. thats That's what I'll right. say for now. Whew. All right, so that's our first paranormal experience. Let's open a Monsterland case file. Let's Jesus. We go now to the Monsterland case files, of which there are hundreds uh, of reports in this area. We open tonight case file number 196701. This is the St. Leo's UFO of 1967, which hovered over St. Leo's Cemetery. Is that correct? That's right,
3: yeah. So uh, 1967,
2: a couple's taken a drive. It's... Um,
3: uh, probably like 12.31 in the morning. And as they took off for like half an hour and they came back, they, they weren't drinking, they weren't doing any drugs or anything. They're in their 40s. They come back and they they pass by St. Leo Cemetery. And often in the distance, above the cemetery, what looked like a fire. They see this light and they see what looks like smoke or, or mist. So the husband. Turns the wheel, you know, car around. And says, "Honey, I think we got something." So he pulls up into the cemetery, broadside, only yards away from this thing, and they realize it's a craft. It's a classic flying saucer, hovering over the, <laughs> hovering over, uh, the cemetery, and there's like this mist or this fog, and um, it was kind of like bluish color. He gets out of the car. He points to. The, he's like, "Look at this!" As soon as he points his hand, and his arm up at the UFO. It was almost like this magnetic force threw his hand back on top of the roof of the car, <laughs> and he couldn't move. <clears throat> and slowly, this UFO rocks back and forth and then makes this whirring sound, slowly takes off and then shoots off. Maybe about 20 seconds later, he kind of regains his you know, control of his arm and gets back in the car. So he's still a little shooken up, and they drive to the house. They're freaking out. He, he tries to. <laughs> Pull into the driveway. Well, he still kind of doesn't have full control. He goes into the garage through the door, like crashes into the house. So now it's like two in the morning. And the first thing they did is they called their parents. Now think of this for a second. Think of this for a second. Right. If this is, you know, fake, who you're gonna call your parents at <laughs> right. 2:30 in the morning right, and right. say, Hey, in 1967. No. So they called, I think, his parents. And his mom was like, you got to call the police, just call him And then his, his uh, wife did the same, same thing. And they had this officer, Lieutenant
2: Ciccolini. All documented, by the way, all these yep. cases are documented.
3: Uh, he, he came, knew the couple, uh, interviewed them up until about four 30 in the morning. Good. And said, they are telling the truth. They saw something. They're visibly shaking. You know, this is a, A seasoned seasoned police
2: officer who knows when someone's lying or telling the truth. Right. He said they're telling the truth. Well, uh, you can read more about that case in Ronnie's book, Monsterland, um, case 196701. And this ties in beautifully to the unbelievable news that broke this week nationwide uh, and worldwide. Yeah. The now infamous Tic Tac UFO released from the government, uh, as I said last week in last week's episode, Ronnie, we are living through disclosure, I think, right now. Yeah. We don't realize it even, in a way, um, how shocking this is. And just this week, more information came out about this story. You've actually printed up the government uh, report. This is the report. Full,
3: um, all the details from, from the Navy, um, assessment, talking about what happened. And, th- and this goes back to, it's amazing. 2004, and we're hearing about it 14 years Let
2: ago. me just reset in case, yeah. again, we have some Oak Island people who might not know this type of stuff. In, in the uh, December of 2017, mm-hmm. uh, video was released of fighter pilots chasing an anomalous flying craft that they could not explain, moving at rapid speed, um, the classic video that we all craved in UFOlogy for years that we knew existed but never right. saw, at least not from the government, it was released. Correct. And now, based off that, all this new information is coming out, and this report has been released. Um, it tells us a lot of things, like this was going on, this was actually stalking a, a Navy vessel, this thing was. Right. So what are some of the most shocking? You, you've spent a lot of time with this document, Ronnie. What are some of the most shocking uh, elements of it that you read? The I think right off the bat is how they talked about
3: this craft. Like I said, it was kind of messing with the USS Nimitz three or four times over a course of uh, like several days. And what they were seeing is, and the reason they call it a tic-tac UFO, it literally looked like a
2: tic-tac. 46 feet long, I think they said.
3: Yeah, about 50 feet long. Which is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, There was no sign of, uh, you know, wings or anything, just a smooth white surface. Um, It went from 60,000 feet to 50 feet in a matter of like seconds <laughs> which is impossible and, and there's no way so they called out these uh, f-18 hornets to track it they would catch it on radar for a little bit and then they would lose it they just couldn't keep up with this thing and so they chased it this is th- a few of the key assessments that came out that really blew me away and again if you're looking for UFOs, you should start searching for anomalous aerial vehicle because that's how they're classifying these things. So
2: so in this report, they call it anomalous Arial. aerial vehicle, AAV. Correct. Thereby, if you do a search for UFO, you ain't gonna find anything. Find Again, them. the government's super smart. Before you get to those individual yeah. pieces of the shocking uh, details of that report, listen to this. These are fighter pilots for the US Navy. Correct. Um, interacting with this Tic Tac UFO. Check this out. Dude, fucking drone, bro. There's a whole fleet of them, look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 100 knots to the west. Look at that thing, dude. dude. That's not an LNS, though, is it? It is an LNS, dude. Well, if there's like a thing. It's
3: rotated. So, <laughs> stunning, crazy. Um, what what floored me, okay, is that the key assessments from the military. They stated there's three. Um, they highlighted about six, but these three really stood out. The anomalous aerial vehicle, the AAV, is no known aircraft or air vehicle currently in the inventory of the U.S. or any
2: foreign nation. Okay, again, secret military document. Flat out saying, this ain't ours, and it ain't anyone else's. The other piece, and this is pretty
3: wild, the AAV possibly demonstrated the ability to cloak or become invisible to the human eye or human (laughs) observation. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Is this (laughs) science? This is what
2: we've been praying for. (laughs) I mean, literally, if you if you went to a cocktail party five years ago as a believer and talked about cloaking devices and UFOs. Everyone would be like, "Oh, awesome! Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna go get a, 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 a you know, a, a gin and tonic." <laughs> Maddie's gonna go out there and talk to himself by the pool. Now, this is a government document. And then check this one out. This is what the other
3: piece of the, the puzzle here is that when the uh, fighter pilots F-18 Hornets were chasing, trying to keep up with this thing, at one point, one of the fire jets was following it, and they noticed this um, disturbance in the water almost like a submarine or something coming up, and it was the shape of a circle like a flying saucer. They think that it was actually trying to either dock or connect with this, and this is the third piece here. The AAV possibly demonstrated a highly advanced capability to operate undersea, completely undetectable by our most advanced sensors. So is there some kind of—are
2: they under the ocean? Are they hiding? I mean, that's— Well, reports of USOs— Right. Uh, are ubiquitous in ufology. You know, every, for years, people saying these things are coming out of the ocean or the water. So there you go. And this is the government saying it.
3: So this is, and there's, there's more to this. This video and the audio that we had just played was from December. So I think there's going to be more about this case coming out as well uh, as others. And it's, it's pretty mind-blowing stuff.
2: Well, you know what I think these things are. I've told you before. Yeah. I think there is a paranormal aspect to the UFO phenomenon. I think they are what the Bible called. We'll get into this and we'll have an author on who specializes in this stuff, but I kind of subscribe to the fallen angels, demonology aspect of this. I think they are posing as benevolent aliens, Mm. but they are spiritual beings. They are basically demons. That's just my belief. At least a portion of them are. Right. Well, you think I'm crazy? How about this aspect of uh, newly released documents in the last few days? Pentagon's secret UFO program investigated poltergeist connections. Pentagon's UFO program uh, investigated possible connections to poltergeists and invisible entities and, quote, bizarre creatures. This is the Pentagon. Okay? Um, The phenomenon, the investigation, also involved looking at poltergeist activity, invisible entities, orbs of light, animal and human injuries, and much more. So basically, this goes on to say that they were looking at all types of different... That what all, this could be? They're
3: all connected, right? I mean, there's, there's, they're all either coming from the same place or they're made from this. There's some kind of connection through everything.
2: <laughs> Let me take a minute to talk about the Boston Podcast Network with Ronnie here. Uh, just a few years ago, Ronnie, podcasting was on the fringe of the media world. We all know that mm. now. There are more than half a million active podcasts. We're on the verge of an information revolution. Uh, working with pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network allows you and your business to be part of it. Pod617 can produce your show soup to nuts with their professional producers like Kerry here, David in the back, Ian, the man at Media Boss, dynamic on-air hosts like us, Mm -hmm. radio quality equipment that you can see right here. They produce my show, and I couldn't be happier. Right, Ronnie? Oh, the best. These people are the best. Working with the Boston Podcast Network means becoming part of a community, allowing you to share in our success as you become part of a professionally marketed platform. Contact pod617 to start planning. In the meantime, listen, learn, and binge. Whether you're into music, sports, comedy, business, politics, or the unexplained. You'll find something here for you. Visit pod617.com in pod we trust. Our first experiences right. carry our producers like, oh, uh, let me tell you about how my father's communicating with my family who passed. Right, um, It just goes on and on. Everyone has a story. And by the way, we want to hear your story. Love to hear your story. So I believe we have the technology, although we don't have Tic Tac technology (laughs) to go from 60,000 feet to 50 feet. We do have the technology for you to leave us uh, messages. Um, How can people do that? If you have a story you want us to feature here, um, how can people do that? We have an email, don't we? We, Yes, they can send an email to monsterland at
3: pod617.com and shoot us a note. We'll share your story, your experiences we're not going to be the ones that are going to be ridiculing you. We're here to listen. No, not at all. Yeah. We're
2: advocates for you because like, as we've established, we are experiencers. Um, we also very shortly are going to have the ability for you to leave us actual audio messages um, where you can tell your stories That'd be great. and we'll listen to those live. Uh, all right. Speaking of listening to compelling people tell their stories, you've all been waiting for it. Uh, an executive producer of History Channel's smash, The Curse of Oak Island, Joe Lessard joins us now in Monsterland. Joe Lessard, thank you for entering into Monsterland.
0: Well, it's great to be in Monsterland, Maddie Blake. How are you doing, sir?
2: Well, I miss you. I miss the island. I miss the whole team, (laughs) Um, but we're doing well.
0: Yeah, well, you, you are missed. And that, that's one of the things about Oak Island when you're there. I mean, I mean, no matter if you're there for a day or if you're there for several months, when you leave, you want to go back. It draws you back in.
2: There's no doubt it draws you back in. Uh, say hi to my co-host, author Ronnie LeBlanc. Hey,
0: Joe. Ronnie, how are you, sir?
2: Excellent. How are
3: you? Thanks for being on the Monster podcast. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah, this is fun. So, Joe, let's dive right into what I have, by the way literally questions from around the world here for you from oak fans you know i love to be the voice for the fans on the show and and we'll get into all that but before we do could you just kind of sum up what oak island is for those of us who might not know some people found this con uh, this podcast and don't know anything about oak island could you kind of sum it up for us
0: yeah absolutely um oak island is a 140 acre island um, in Nova Scotia in the North Atlantic, not too far from Maine, where people have been looking for some kind of mysterious treasure for 225 years now. Uh, It's gone from generation to generation. Um, It's gone from company to company, very uh, serious um, investors and engineers and scientists and theorists and just people with passion for mystery. Um, have been working sent for centuries now, trying to figure out what what may be buried on Oak Island and who may have put it there and for what reason. And they still don't know. All they know is they keep finding clues that tell, him, tell them somebody went to a lot of trouble to protect something of great, great importance or value.
3: Mm. Joe, you're the executive producer on the show. How, how did you end up on this path hit show, History Channel, the executive producer. How, what was that first kind of opportunity to kind of get you down this road?
0: Uh, well, two words, Kevin Burns. Mm-hmm. He's my. He is the founder of Prometheus Entertainment and the creator of the show, The Curse of Oak Island. Um, and we, we were curious. Um, we, we had come into knowing about the mystery. We actually did a segment about it, a 10 minute segment in the first season of Ancient Aliens. Ah. Um, And that just put it on our radar, Um, we had been talking to some people at History Channel at the time um, about what would be cool to explore for for new um, projects and Oak Island came up and Kevin Burns was curious what was going on with Oak Island and all anyone knew at the time this was around 2013 early 2013. All anyone knew was that it was really hard to make television about Oak Island these days because it was owned by two old guys, Dan Blankenship and Fred Nolan, and they hated one another and would not cooperate with each other or with television companies um, to to do anything new. And so it had been left at that. Well, Kevin, um, tenacious and and, and ingenious as he is, um got one of somebody here in house to start doing some digging around and they found a a phone number for oak island tours called it up and rick lagina answered the phone (laughs) and the rest is history channel
2: (laughs) just that simple sometimes uh well it wasn't that simple because i know joe i know there's tale of a dinner and i always say this to fans too like these guys would be there whether the cameras are rolling or not. They are fully committed to this. And didn't they at first kind of have some reservations about even doing the show?
0: They still have reservations.
2: <laughs> I was trying to be gentle. Um, yeah. yeah
0: no, 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 Rick and Rick and Marty Lagina have been partners with Dan Blankenship um, and some, and, and some other partners, Craig Tester, Alan Kastrava um, for since 2006, um dan's partner at the time david tobias uh, was was they, they approached david who was looking to um sell out his his portion of the island and rick who has followed this story religiously since he was a child in the uh, upper peninsula of michigan since 1965 when he read a reader's digest article has been enthralled by the mystery um and so he followed it throughout decades throughout the years very closely And his younger brother Marty, uh, who as a child always looked up to big brother Rick and the two of them would get in their own little childhood play mysteries and always fantasize about one day, you know, would they have their their shot at Oak Island and I think it was always sort of a romanticism, you know, it was nothing that I think they ever endeavored as young people uh, to ever realistically come to fruition, maybe Rick did in in his heart, I don't know. Um, You know, but as fate would have it, uh, they found themselves. Um, you know middle-aged and with the resources collectively to actually do it And so they approached Dan Blankenship they approached David Tobias and they made it happen and in 2006 They partnered with Dan um, And started started getting going but uh, back then there were there's treasure. There's there's a law in Canada um, that governs treasure hunting right. and there's only one there's only one place in the entire um, uh, country, I believe, where you can hunt for treasure, uh, at least in the province of Nova Scotia, and that's Oak Island, and it's the Oak Island Act. And so they they had to work with the government; they had to go through a lot of different hurdles and legal hoops to to cooperate and get permission. Um, and they did. So the first several years that they were doing things up there, it was it was more minor stuff. I mean, they drilled some boreholes; they um, they ingratiated themselves with the province as much as they could. They got a, an archaeologist to scour the island um and got them permissions to actually start their own their own explorations and um they had just renewed their treasure trove license i think it went away on them for a period there and then they had just renewed it when we got a hold of rick lagina and and it was like you said maddie it was not so easy didn't didn't we didn't make a deal on that phone call with Rick. Mm. Um, he was intrigued about the notion of a documentary on Island because Rick loves that history. And there's so much rich history. There's so many stories and so many people and so many important finds that have been made and so many important efforts that have been made and some pretty incredible tragedies that have happened uh, in the pursuit of that treasure. And so Rick was you know, thinking um, it, the story absolutely should be promoted, should be told, should be retold. but. He he couldn't really wrap his brain around why anyone would care to see it from his point of view. And so it, it Kevin and myself uh, traveled to Traverse City, Michigan, to meet with Rick and Marty and Craig Tester and Alan Castrava um, and convince them um, why it was important for these two brothers from Michigan who had grown up with this mystery that was their one of their life's, you know, pie in the sky passions to have that play out. Um, in reality to see if they could crack this mystery that so many before them had tried and failed to do would just make for incredible television right there no matter what they found because Kevin could tell and I could tell just from meeting them right away that their story was one that people would want to follow they're charismatic guys yeah. they, they have good hearts they mean well uh, they love the island they worship Dan Blankenship and and the people that have come before them and so we knew that they were going to be good stewards of the story. And we, we could tell that they came and they meant business. I mean, Marty Lagina comes from a, an engineering and oil background. He, he's, he, he has technologies that he applies every day um, to make a successful business that would completely um, uh, relate to treasure hunting and and be ap- applicable on Oak Island looking for things in the ground. Um, the weird thing is, is that those technologies don't seem to be so cut and dry on an island where they're trying to dig a 200 foot hole uh, and they, they keep on finding different reasons why things don't turn out the way they planned uh, versus drilling two miles down in the earth and actually, actually finding natural resources. So it, it, that part of the island has been, been kind of uh, hard for them to tackle, but, um, but that's how it all started.
2: You touch on something, Joe, that I want to follow up on and, and you talk about the Laginas and ostensibly it's a show about treasure hunt and the gold and all that and that's all really compelling and exciting, but at its essence, this show is about family as I see it, faith, relationships, brotherhood, um, and, and the pursuit of something that in the face of the worst odds and defeat after defeat the determination and the faith to keep moving forward, as, as Sly Stallone said in Rocky V, to keep moving forward. And and that is so inspiring to me. So I wanted to get personal here for a minute if I could. Could you explain to people listening, you are embedded on that island when you were there. The crew lives together, I've seen it firsthand. And I consider you guys like family. You be, We've become like a, a family and friends. Talk about the Lagina brothers, your relationship with them, your relationship with them, Joe and some things about them that maybe people don't see on TV and some things that people maybe should know about them.
0: Um, I mean, honestly, I would say pretty much what you see on television is, 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 is who they really are. Um, Rick is, Rick is kind of a private guy. That's, that's why he sort of shies away from, even though he's great on camera, he's so charismatic. He's, he's actually a very, um, um, you know, he's he's actually a very personal person. He he likes his privacy. He's not a a very outgoing person, um, but but he but he loves to engage. You know, what what's great about Rick on the island that I think people would like to know is that when he's in a he's in a great position to share dreams with people, mm-hmm. um, because Oak Island encompasses so much of that notion about. Um, you know, striving to do something incredible with your life and with your time, and you know, it it is more than a treasure hunt. It's about trying to tell a story and solve a great mystery, a great mystery that no one really even. It's a mystery what the mystery is even about, because there's so many. <laughs> right. Dreams. It's true. It's true. What the treasure be? But and but Oak Island means so much to so many people, and you said that there's people from all around the world listening and who are submitting questions. Yep. That's that's how far this little island reaches, um, and and so. What I would say about both Rick and Marty is they're dream sharers, and they and they constantly hear things now that they're out there in the world, and people are aware of their efforts, and they like to share that with people. You know, they've got a great um, interpretive visitor center on the island that they opened up, where they house artifacts that have been found on the island, but they also use it to greet the public and give tours of the island. And as as much as Rick likes to shy likes likes to think he he shies away from from that kind of stuff. It's amazing to watch him interact with the public. Yeah. And it's amazing to watch Rick interact with the public and and share that with people and Marty, too. Um, they're they're very, very giving and gracious in that respect, because I think they understand that as, as hard as they're working and as much as they're putting into this financially um, and, and all the hard work that goes with it, um, I think that they see it as a privilege. To also fulfill the curiosity and the wishes of other people, um, and they do it all the time. They're very, very giving guys. I was. Sta- my, oh, go ahead, Joe. I was going to say my relationship with with Rick and Marty. It's 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 complicated because on one hand we don't fake the process, but there is there is a lot of you know time consuming TV production that goes into it. So there's always a, a push and a pull about uh, you know um, that that process. But um, but I, I love spending time with them. I love playing Euchre with them, although I, I think that, uh, you know, whether it's fate or some kind of eerie um, paranormal power they have, I've not been able to beat them yet in the game, <laughs> but, but I will get them. Um, uh, no, I mean, I, I love it. Oak Island is a is a great it's 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 kind of a it's kind of a weird place to work because it's so much fun. I mean, it's hard work. It's, it's rough work. You got to watch out. You got to face every kind of element. One thing about Nova Scotia is The weather will change three times in one day. So you're always having to deal with with rain or or wind or bearing, you know, blaring sun um, and then cold and then warm. And and, and it's an endless cycle that tests you. Mm. But at the same time, you go home every day, especially when they make a find, and you're like, I can't believe I got to do that today and I can't wait to go back and do it again tomorrow. And part of that is spending time with Rick and Marty because they're great, great guys and everyone involved, all their partners, all their, you know, their friends that are helping they are great people.
2: I was standing um, one morning there early. It was like an early call. And I was, this is like, I don't know, second or third year, you know, on the island. And so, you know, my relationship with Rick and Marty grew and they started trusting me. And, you know, I think at a certain point I was like a made man. You know what I'm saying, Ronnie? Like they were like, all right, not only does he not mean us any harm, he is a cheerleader for the show. He might be the, the cheerleader for the show. Absolutely. So I was standing out there one morning, Joe, and um, by the causeway, like kind of just running lines in my head, and it's just me, and Rick kind of comes walking out, and he gives me that look, you know, that kind of Templar look, that Knights Templar look. He has that faraway look, and he goes, um, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, you really believe, don't you? And I said, in this island. And he said, you really believe something's here, don't you? And I said, I do, but I'm, and I joked, I said, yeah, but I'm a little crazy like that. And he didn't laugh. And he goes, no, it's not crazy. And he points to the bridge and he goes, to cross that bridge, you got to have faith. Hmm. If you want to cross that bridge, you got to have faith. I get a little emotional talking about it. And so Joe, I'm wondering for you with everything you've seen all the ups and downs of being there, the incredible highs and the frustrations. Where does your faith in Oak Island stand right now?
0: Um, I, I, I mean, I've a, I've a person that grew up with an imaginative brain, and and I, have I've grown up with a, you know, numerous sort of, um, you know, fantasy type scenarios that, um. I hoped my life would would lead to, you know what I mean? And probably everybody does. But I was I was kind of fixated on it as a a young person. And um, so I I think, like you say, you're crazy like that. I think I'm a little crazy like that. No no offense. No offense to Rick, because, you know, for Rick, he you know, he's such a man of faith, as you just described. Um, I entered this this whole project and this opportunity and this job hoping and wanting it uh wanting something to be found wanting it to prove to be true um and you know getting into the process from season one and you know um them finding that pirate coin from the 1600s in the swamp yep and you know going to um Europe in season two and hearing these incredible stories from from theorists who who basically chart the path of the Knights Templar from France to Scotland well from the Holy Land to France to Scotland to Nova Scotia and Oak Island and who knows from from where after um and then you come back and it all culminates in last season where just when you think are are we you know, are we never going to find something in the money pit? Or are we never going to find something at Smiths Cove? Are we never going to prove this part of the story? They they find something like that cross last year, and and wh- while it still remains a mystery as to what exactly that object means, you can see from everybody that that handles it, whether whether it's a scientist or. A, a treasure hunter like Gary Drayton, who's found things literally all over the world and has become very discriminating about what he pulls out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and then the testing that it's, that it's, that it's undergoing, even as we speak, testing is being done on that thing. I think it's, it, it, it renews. It either gives you faith or it renews faith. And, and one of the, one of the barometers, this show is really, um, about faith versus skepticism, mm. Uh, mm. faith faith versus tangible science. Um, you know the the belief, the 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 want for for history to be fulfilled with with a great story versus which is Rick versus Marty who 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 loves his brother and has that imaginative mind just enough to say you know what let's get in there together and try to crack this thing, but but also. Who sits back and says but you got to put it in my hand to prove it to me yeah right and, and, and when you see that guy with his point of view hold the cross and then turn to his brother and say you know when we first got into this thing i was never i wasn't sure that anything important ever happened on oak island and now holding this thing also coupled with the fact that they found human bones in a money pit <laughs> 160 feet deep and parchment left, and and yes and parchment uh, he looks at his brother and he says, I'm now convinced that whatever whatever may or may not still be here, something incredible happened. And, you know, you're watching that through a monitor, um, you know, outside the war room as, the, as this is being recorded, unprompted, unscripted, and like a tear kind of comes to your eye because you're like, this is incredible to see the human movement that happens because it takes place not only in the crew who are there to witness all this stuff, and try to and 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 convey it to the audience, but you're watching these real guys who wake up that day not not knowing what they're going to encounter that day, and when days like that happen, Maddie, your faith is is either established or renewed.
3: Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Um, one of the questions that we got was from Susan Stewart. You talked about uh, the cross, and she was had a question. She's um, calling in from Maine. She had a question about. Has that been dated? Is there uh, any indication of how old that is? I know you said it's in the process of being um, looked at now.
0: Su- Her name's Susan.
3: Yeah, Susan Stewart from Maine.
0: Susan Stewart. Well, Susan, um, it's a great qu- it's a great question that that all of us are, are very um, uh, very eager to find the answer for. Um, and all I can say is stay tuned because um, I believe that that, that information um, is not only being worked on, but I think it's forthcoming.
2: Excellent. Well, let's dive into the fan questions, but before we do, and by the way, I have held that cross in my hand. Oh my God. And it there uh, they're not words. You can feel it, you know, you can feel it in your heart. It's something special, at least in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, before we dive into the fan question, Joe, one last thing. Speaking of the cross and everything, it's a nice little segue into this question. Is like, where are things right now in terms of like, are you talking to the brothers? Where is everyone? Are they back in Michigan? What's what's going on with the team?
0: Um, well, that that info is a little close to the vest right now. Sure. Um, but all, all I can say is Rick, Rick, and Marty um, are are never going to give up. Looking, you know, whether there's TV or not, I think there's always going to be something going on. Right. So, I mean, even even when even when our television cameras go away for, you know, breaks between seasons, um, the guys are still looking into stuff. So um, I, I can't speak to where they are right now in the world, but you can bet they're working on a mystery.
2: Love it. <laughs> Love it. Um, all right. Let's dive into fan questions. There's tons of them. And when you got to go, Joe, you're a busy, man making television. So let, let's get into yeah. these, Ronnie. Um, OK, this is Zelda on Instagram. Um, is the team planning on freezing the ground upcoming at any point, like it was discussed last season, and also um, anything going to be done further with the DMT shaft?
0: Um, I mean, the the ring method, which is, which is a method where they use um, a glycol substance and, and a lot of drilling to basically drill a circle of holes around a a, a certain circumference of an area and then they literally freeze the ground right so that and they can overcome these believed flood tunnels that feed in from either one or numerous spots um, along the island shore somewhere um so they're they're thinking the freeze method is is the way that they're finally going to be able to excavate the money pit without having to deal with with flood water um that is a, a process that has been investigated for now i think at least thirty years. I mean, David Tobias and Dan Blankenship um, were looking into quotes on, on how much it would cost to do that back in the nineteen seventies and eighties, I believe. Right. Um, and and even back then, it was a million. It was it was in the several millions of dollars at least back then. Right. So you can, you can only imagine how expensive that that method would be today. It, it's something that's always sort of on the horizon in terms of maybe we'll try that. Um, I. I can't say that that's uh, something that um, I can't say whether or not the guys are, are realistically planning on that now, but it's certainly something that, that they're always considering. And, and if, if not that method, something that would be more practical and perhaps, um, you know, um, you know more, more logical in terms of how much you want to throw into, into one operation. Um, and they, so they continue to try other things. But the freeze ring, freeze ring method, is, is always, it's always on the perimeter of the thought. I always
2: say to fans, Joe, uh, if you've thought of it, trust me, they've thought of it, and it's being considered or, or, or looked into. Uh, you got one there, Ronnie? I, I do. Um,
3: talking about the tunnels, Cindy Bussy from Turner Falls, Mass, had a question. Could the artifacts that they found in the shaft have been sucked in through the tunnels instead of actually placed there? Hmm.
0: Um, I mean, potentially, but if they were sucked in, sucked in from where? Sucked, sucked in from like a major uh, vault of some kind or, or like a room down there. The weird thing about the geology on Oak Island is it's literally an island that's made up of two drumlins or land masses that, that are composed of different kinds of rock. Um, the side of the island on the um, western side of the swamp, leading toward the causeway is is all slate very hard rock but on the eastern drumlin where 10x and the money pit are it's it's um it's a a kind of anhydrite um, sort of limestone type rock that not only could hold man-made cavities but could also be have natural solution cavities so the the grounds already kind of swiss cheese in a way Um, but but they have found evidence that some of those uh, um, voids Mm -hmm. that have been found like through drilling or through digging, um, are, are quite possibly man-made. So there could be some kind of, who knows if someone went down in the money pit when it was originally dug and repurposed natural features to, to supplement man-made features, to create a maze of of things, you know, there, there's, there's thoughts that Oak Island, if it holds treasure, doesn't hold one treasure, but was perhaps, one time known to certain individuals um, to be a treasure vault, uh, like a bank where there's many places. So could, could, a, could an artifact that's drilled out of DMT um, have been, you know, deposited there or, or somehow gotten there by being pushed around by a groundwater from a different spot underground? It's possible. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, where is it coming from? And, and that's, that's still something that the guys are trying to figure out that no one's been able to figure out ever exactly what they're dealing with down there. And all the searcher activity over the years, um, some of it was well-documented, some of it unfortunately wasn't, only adds to the challenges of what they're trying to do today to figure out what's going on down there, because they'll find because no matter what they drill into or what they dig into, when they can't see it above ground, they're not sure what they're dealing with, whether it's a man-made structure from the past a man, that, that searchers put in, or a man-made structure from the past that a depositor put in, or a natural feature, all they know is they keep finding man-made objects deeper and deeper and deeper than any searcher's been known to go. So it, it's, it, it, it's evidence that something um, original is still down there and waiting to be completely figured out. Let's
2: go to uh, John from Maryland on Twitter who says, Hey, Maddie, question for Joe. Is there any chance... They could do a detailed episode explaining how the searchers found the old shaft that you featured on drilling down. Could you explain to us uh, why we didn't see more on that, and will we see more in the future, possibly, if you know if, if things did move forward?
0: Yeah, that was a that was a weird shaft, and I would say yes, it's possible that we'll that we'll do more of that within an episode and try to tell the story. I think the guys are still trying to figure out exactly what that story is. Right. They, they did uncover it, but it's still kind of a you know it was we um, we, we have not placed it in an episode as its story uh, it was only featured there in drilling down. But um, the answer is is most definitely yes. We we may go back to it if uh, if we're able to continue with the show and um, try to tell more of that story and figure out more of that story so that the viewers can understand it. Because I, I know you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, look how uh, visually it just draws you in, you know, it's a hole that draws you in. And uh, I want to know more about it myself. So we'll see.
2: Like I said, on, on that episode, when we revealed it, I was like, listen, it might not be that significant in terms of what it is historically or in terms of the search, but visually, as you say, it looked like we had Hollywood producers coming to build it. It looked so incredible with that, that uh, ladder coming out of the ground. It was just uh, stunning. Joe, I have actually a question from myself because I ask everybody this.
3: Uh, since you've been embedded on Oak Island when you're there for filming have you had any personal paranormal experiences yourself anything that was left you kind of scratching your head
0: um, only in my imagination I think I mean <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of people have stories um, uh, you know there's been ghosts that have been that there's been ghosts that have been reported supposedly on the island um, uh, there's there have been... Uh, you know, parent, paranormal ghost hunters up there. Uh, in season one, you saw us out there with with a group from one of the local towns, um, trying to trying to take measurements and and trying to test energies and whatnot. I, w- you know, when you're out in the country, you know, you guys know it there in New England. I mean, Nova Nova Scotia is basically the same. I mean, when it gets dark, it is so dark. It is it is dark like you cannot believe yes. and. When, when you're on that island at night and I've tried, I, I've gone up by myself to try to walk back from like, you know, where the, where the war room is, I've tried to walk back by myself all the way to 10 um, X. And I got to about the, uh, I got about to the end of center road where you make a left and walk along the swamp. Yeah. And I decided that perhaps it wasn't the best idea. Anymore, <laughs> I, I ended up walking back. Um, you know I, I i've i've heard rumor of of a of sort of a, an entity that's been seen that's kind of like a uh, for lack of a better term kind of reported as sort of like a black mass Interesting. i've never seen it um i have i've driven up to 10x at night gotten out of my car and and sort of stood there and you know just you know you're up there for a summer why not you know um right. and, and I, i've not seen it um but so Personally, no, I have not had a paranormal experience, um, but others have. So I don't I don't know what uh, if there is something up there, what 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 I'm what I'm lacking that it can't show itself. But, you know, um, I I don't know if you have to go up there with with such an open open mind to that kind of thing or if it's just going to sneak up on you because I've never really had an experience with ghosts that I can that I can speak of, you know, so I, I don't know where that comes from. But again, I'm one of those one of those people that I'm crazy like that. I want I want to experience it from a safe distance, mind you. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I've yet to actually have my own personal one-on-one experience with the paranormal on Oak Island. Well, the amazing well, the thing, amazing about, thing the
2: about the black mass, black mass, anomaly, mass anomaly or anomaly. phenomena, Ronnie, we've talked about it and we'll talk about it in future episodes of the yeah. show, is that as dark as it is, as Joe mentioned, and like, you know, I've been out there at night with Joe, um, you literally can not see your hand in front of your face, that people that report these phenomenon, it's blacker than the blackest night wow. that you could imagine. They, wow. You know, as dark as the room could be, these masses move at a, they're darker than that, it's, mm. which is phenomenal. Um, Let's go to Jolly Old England, Beckles, England. This is from Adam, Joe. Uh, Hi, Maddie. Ask Joe, please, uh, how long each episode takes to make with all the editing from various cameras you use, etc. in the war room and cars, money pit, et cetera. That's from Adam in Beckles, England
0: uh i mean that that really varies i mean we've we've had days where we shot almost an entire episode in one day like when you've got john chatterton diving to the depths of 10x i mean um where you're where you're following something that um can sustain an hour of television um you know there there's times where we're where we're pulling stuff from 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 different days and just kind of piecing the story together that where it tracks in a linear way where one thing leads to another you know um not everything is shot, you know, in linear ways, because you, you know, we, we, we can only plan so much. Um, the story on Oak Island evolves as reality evolves, you know, so it, it really varies. I mean, there, there are times where it takes us um, a week, probably to, to shoot stuff that we can put into an episode. There, there are times where it's one or two days.
2: Um, let's stay in England, Suffolk, England. This is from Matt. Hey, Maddie. Awesome name. Thank you. (laughs) Secondly, absolutely love the curse of Oak Island and binge watched season five. Can you ask Joe what the team plans to do with 10 X in the future? Or do you think they've kind of put a cross through it, you know, whether there's another season or not as they move on, if they move on, do you think 10 X is done or still alive, Joe?
0: Yeah. I mean, my answer to that is I'm not quite sure. I know that, um they sort of they sort of proceed by um majority rule up there in terms of where they want to put their resources and the fact that i think that the fact that that rick knows that dan blankenship believes so strongly in his heart that 10x is intricate to that mystery and very important to yeah. the, to the to solving the mystery i think he's always going to want to, to try to pursue that um marty and craig are are they're open to you know, exploring if they can reasonably get the evidence to um, justify it. So I think that new technology is always coming out where the guys can can try to get a look down there without having to, you know, risk someone's life or um, do, you know, do something that's going to cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars just to just to find out a yes or a no answer. Uh, so um, I believe I believe something will happen in the future. Um, I don't know what that is. It'll be up to the guys.
2: Uh, two more quick ones, Joe. This one I wanted to read because it's from Germany. This is from Kirkheim Tech, I believe I'm saying his name right. Kirkham Tech or Kirkheim Tech in Germany. Uh, Joe, when did you first hear about Oak Island for the first time? And greetings from uh, oh I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's the name of the town, Joe. Let me do that again. This is from Marion and Michael from Kirkham Tech in Germany. And they want to know when you first heard about Oak Island for the first time. Was it that Ancient Aliens episode or did you heard of it before then?
0: Uh, for me personally, the first time I'd heard about it was when we featured it in Angel Alien. Yep.
2: Got it. Cool. And uh, boy, it's become a major part of your life now. <laughs> and finally, we touched on this a second ago, but this is a paranormal pod- podcast in the end. So uh, this is a great closing question, I think. Rick H. from Illinois um, wants to know if there's any chance, I don't know, you would let someone like me, for example, get into more of the paranormal aspects of what's going on on the island, uh, moving forward again, if we do.
0: Um, the, like I said before, and, and, and the way the show works is we are following the agenda of Rick and Marty. So I think that if, if they found themselves fixated on that in a way where they spent a lot of time doing it, we would document it again. Um, you know, in season one, we got into it a little bit. We told the story of, of Dan Henske uh, treasure hunter who's been up there since uh since the late 60s poking around he worked a long time with dan blankenship once dan became a full partner on the island he's had a couple of very notorious um um i, I should say encounters or incidents with encounters or incidents with something that overcame him that made him feel like he you know he he said he was one one day came face to face with the hounds of hell yeah uh he, he said that he's had, he had a vision that um, a priest overcame him, like the spirit of a dead priest that he believed is buried in the bottom of 10 X yeah. over overcame him. Um, and he had, he literally had a breakdown in Dan's kitchen in front of Dan and Dan had to physically subdue him and uh, get him medical attention. Um, Didn't he flee the Island at
2: one time in a panic, Joe, also because of that entity?
0: Um, he did. Uh, I think that was a yeah a different incident. Okay. He thought he thought some, he thought that something within the money pit um, made him think that that to be on the island uh, was was going to imminently lead to his demise. He stripped naked um, and swam for the mainland, uh, carrying um, two of his his earth, his most important earthly possessions, which at the time were a globe, which he also used for flotation and in a plastic bag, the uh, Priscilla Presley uh, biography, Elvis and me.
2: <laughs> wow. Oh, I didn't know that little detail. That's fantastic. I knew about the midnight swim naked. Wait, we've all done the whole crew's done that. Let's face oh. it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, it's incredible. And and if you look at season one of drilling down too. Um, it's right on It's right on YouTube and stuff. Um, Dave Blankenship talks about the quote-unquote UFO or ball of fire, as he calls it, that no one could explain. This anomalous ball of light that flew right over the island and took off at a great rate of speed. So there's definitely stuff going on there uh, that you can't explain. And um, yeah, man. All right, Joe, you've stayed longer than we even hoped you would. We appreciate it. Um, the fans, I know love this is there any parting um thing you'd like to say to all the oak island fans that are listening to this and sitting on the edge of their chair hoping you'll give up some <laughs> accidentally give up some information that you shouldn't have
0: yeah no i mean i appreciate the opportunity to to you know uh talk you know talk to them through you guys um you know the, the story continues for me to be a, a fascination. And, and a wonderful adventure. I feel lucky to be a part of it, and uh, hope to continue to uh, document new finds, um, new theories, and you know, new evidence for what may have happened on Oak Island. I, I think it's amazing the reach that this show uh, has been able to um, to develop. I mean, f- from all across the globe, people are into it, and love watching this this television show, watching Rick and Marty Lagina and their partners do their thing, so I say thank you to them. I appreciate the time from you guys, Ronnie and Maddie, for having me on, and uh, you know, stay tuned, we'll see what happens.
2: Joe, thank you, thank man. You Joe. I've seen you work up close, you're a tour de force, uh, and you're amazing, the team's amazing, the show's amazing, and just thank you. That's all I could say for let me be a small part of it. It's changed my life.
0: Well, thank you, Maddie, and thank you, Ronnie. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Joe what up gangsters from pod 617.com it's shawshank the podcast
2: i'm your host uncle buck nick stevens
0: you want to talk to god let's go see him together Hattie Blake, come on do it kill me
1: it's
2: georgie Kemp. this movie has
1: everything
0: kiss masks lee trevino
1: shawshank movies that you get shawshanked by uh, shawshank i guess i just miss my friend
0: Shawshanked. Make sure to check for new episodes of Shawshanked regularly at pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. In pod, we trust.
1: You are listening to the Monsterland Podcast with Ronnie LeBlanc and Maddie Blake. Now it's time for Monster Mail.
2: We want to hear from you and Monster Mail is how you can do it. Ronnie, how do they do it? Monsterland at pod617.com. Okay, Ronnie, we have a monster mail. Uh, this young lady, or I don't know if she's young, she wants to know what we thought of the series finale of Finding Bigfoot mm. and our thoughts on that. Now, f- full disclosure, we know uh, some of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, and of course the team here, Team Massachusetts, that helps power this very podcast. And by the way, if you have an experience in Massachusetts, contact these guys, Team Massachusetts. They're the best anywhere, but certainly in this area. Yeah. And you for- can
3: find them on Facebook. You, you go to their page, Team Massachusetts. Uh, ask to join. It's a closed group, but uh, you'll be in a in a great community with other people that have had experiences and. Also, talk to other investigators that might be able to help you out with your particular encounter or sighting.
2: And they know these guys from Finding Bigfoot. um, And we've met a a couple of the cast members, or at least I've met one. You've met a a couple, right? Yeah. Um, And you were actually on the show. I was actually on the show. Which Um, we will will get to. Um, But general thoughts on the series... And then the fact that it's ending, Ronnie. I'm, mm. I'm interested what you what you think of that.
3: I, I think the show has done a lot for uh, bringing some awareness around the subject of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, and right. and the, you know they included uh, one of the encounters that happened in Monsterland that I was that was featured on. But I felt like um, they did it a disservice as well because I felt like they kind of. Um, People were watching the show, hopefully, hoping to see something, hoping to st- kind of learn more about it and uh, just never kind of got to that point. Hmm. So I think a lot of people are kind of relieved to see the show being done. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I had a, an interesting experience on that show. Um, yeah. So you, let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Y-
2: you appeared on the show under what circumstances? So
3: this was uh, season two. It was episode two. It was called Big Roadie. And that was the name of um, uh, a creature that they think, believe, lives in Rhode Island area. And so that uh, we, a friend of mine had found some tracks while he was out hiking with his wife in Monster and Lemonster State Forest. Uh, They asked me to kind of come back with them and and, uh, see if we can, one, uh, locate the prints, and two, see if we could cast one of those. So so these people saw tracks in
2: Monsterland. Yeah, they uh, they were walking And you height. helped them cast the tracks? Right. And because of that when 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 finding Bigfoot came around to find the Rhode Island Bigfoot yes. out of Monsterland, they they went to you. So they yeah, so they had
3: um, they were in town in Rhode Island and and one of the investigators uh, David Brake PhD who actually did this uh, particular case in Monsterland and investigated it and and Concluded that this was something of uh, Bigfoot a Sasquatch origin of what created these six footprints. We successfully casted one of those prints, and we actually met with uh, Finding Bigfoot, the crew and the team in Rhode Island at a town hall. They were heading to New York the next day, and they decided that they were going to change their whole shooting schedule and come to Lemaster and do this whole segment on us. Whoa! Uh, the the interesting thing though was that they to keep with continuity, they decided to keep the story within the borders of Rhode Island or near the Massachusetts border. Oh. So there were a lot of details that it was almost they deliberately kind of threw off. Interesting. About the case. The the one thing I did do and I'm glad I did do it was I went to the newspapers in town and kind of told them the story. So they had the story come out when the episode came out and people were able to make that kind of
2: connection. Like that this happened. isn't Lemonster, you know. Right, right. right. This they isn't used, Rhode Island. They or?
3: used the wrong photos that we gave them. It was almost like this deliberate kind of Push, and I've heard of other um, people that have been on the
2: show that have had that kind of similar experience. Well, there's a, so. there's a fuzzy line sometimes between producing a good show right, and reporting things that are going on. Correct. So, yeah, I hear you. Um, you know, I would say this about the show. I think that th- the personalities are wonderful. Um, the production was wonderful. Um, we've met Cliff. Cliff's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. They're Bobo, all su- Bobo, super super yeah. smart. They 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 know their stuff. I would say this: um, if you believe again that Bigfoot is simply cryptozoological, that's a biological entity, that it is a North American ape, um, I would imagine you'd be fairly disappointed by the show because right. you don't. They haven't found nothing really, right? Yeah. Of, of of substance. Um, There's no body, all that whole thing that people always say we're critiquing. Right. If you believe, I think as we do, that there's a little something more to Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. then you might equally be disappointed because the show almost doesn't allow for that in a way. Because how can you find something with TV cameras that is interdimensional or paranormal and just won't allow itself to be found? And here's, here's something interesting, and I think we can, I can say this now that the show is
3: officially off the air. Yeah. <laughs> when they came to film, we were taking a break. We we're in Lemster State Forest. One of the uh, producers or someone on the production team, I was talking to him off to the side, and uh, he said, um, you do realize what, what Bigfoot is? I'm like, yeah. And this is, you know, 2012. It's, a, it's an animal, undiscovered. It's like, no. That's what you said. Right. And he said, Nope. He goes, They're interdimensional and they come in through portals. And I laughed in his face, like, You're telling me this is hysterical. But since that day, every, you know, case that I kind of dived into and it it falls back.
1: Ronnie. And it makes so much sense. Ronnie,
2: Ronnie, (laughs) it's the only, it's the only, I'm sorry. It's the only, again, I'm the one saying we should stop apologizing for what our (laughs) beliefs are. It's the only explanation because you have these compelling people, these compelling witnesses who have these incredible stories and, and, and we never see one. Right. We never see one. We never see any real
3: hard evidence. So many stories of uh, footprints. Going into open field and they just stop, like the thing just went hey, up into the sky. Hey, look, look, you know? look! No
2: further than Team Squatchachusetts, and I don't know if if I don't want to mention his name because I I, I want to have him on the show. I want to have them both on the show. Yeah, but one of them uh, involved with that team, high up in the Team Squatchachusetts. Again, the local research uh, and advocacy group for Bigfoot that is here that works with us. Um, they're both just salt of the earth guys. The whole team is, but okay. one in particular I was talking to, and I made the assumption. Because he is such a, a salt of the earth, outdoorsy hunter. Yeah, he lives in the woods. This guy, He's for all true. intents and purposes. Yeah, true. Tough Massachusetts stock, no bullshit. I assumed he would be offended by me thinking that it was not a biological entity. Right. So I gently said to him on one of our on our on our hunt that day, we went hunting. I said, "So you think this thing's an ape, right? I mean, you don't you don't buy the paranormal thing." He's like. Oh, dude, I don't know what else it could be but paranormal. You know, and he went into his story and he said, I got sick immediately. When he went through what he went through, mm. he got sick. He's like, You explain that to me. Like, what 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 ape could make me get right. physically ill? And all and he goes, I only learned afterwards, just like your case, I only learned afterwards all these things were cliche, Bigfoot experiencer, yeah, really paranormal um, events. So in my mind, there's no question that it is something more than that. So you can't really explore that in a television show because if something is from another world and doesn't want to be found, it's yeah. certainly not going to show up when the cameras start rolling, right? Sure. So it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's almost an impossible task. Yeah. And they did a great job in trying to do it. I'm sure they were frustrated at times, like, oh, my God, how many more of these? You know what, can we not find something in a way? You know? and, and I think they kind of busted the door open. Definitely, I, I, I think. Definitely, it, I think it's it's.
3: You, know, you look at Ancient Aliens and uh, number one show on History Channel. Um, I think it's it's gonna. It's kind of broken some path here. It's to, all good. It, it's gonna it's, help other shows. It's come all good, it's right? Help. Even even
2: yeah. even if it doesn't, it served its purpose. Come with any right, even right. if it doesn't come with anything tangible. It's all good because it's raising the dialogue. Right of this type of thing, absolutely. And I hope we have too. I hope so. Uh, and again, Ronnie, uh, how do people find
3: us? Socials and all Social, that? Social, uh, Facebook, at Monsterland Podcast. Twitter, Insta, uh, Snap, at Monsterland Pod.
2: If you like what you hear, please share it with friends. Um, thank you to Team squatchachusetts Thank you to Media Boss. Thank you to Pod 617. Uh, for Ronnie LeBlanc. Oh, 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 oh. Mm. Next week. Yes. We have a guest lined up? We have
3: an amazing guest. Who we got? Uh, good friend of mine, author David Weatherly who's written several books the interesting thing about uh, David is he's a shaman and uh, he's also um, works on different demonology cases but he's also a big um, proponent of Bigfoot and that interdimensional interdimensional kind of aspect and so he's written uh, several books called Wood Knocks and it's about different stories and encounters Um, so we're going to have him on next week really excited he's
2: excited to be on Demons interdimensional, Mm. paranormal, Mm. Bigfoot. All right, it's going to get spooky again (laughs) next week. We thank you, all you listeners, all you new listeners. Share it with a friend if you like it. Um, Ronnie LeBlanc, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thanks to our guest, Joe Lessard. And remember, until next time, Monsterland. It's not a place, it's a space. We'll see you next time.
1: Thank you for joining us on the Monsterland Podcast. If you or someone you know has an experience to share, or if you have questions, you can reach us at monsterlandreport at gmail.com. Find us on social media at MonsterlandPod. Until we meet again in Monsterland.